You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 190. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. great to be back with you this week. We'll start by covering last week's Bank of Canada rate hike and how the U.S. housing market has reacted near term to the sharp rate increases. In our Your Stock, Our Take segments, we take four questions on four individual stocks. The first is on Vital Hub Corp, symbol VHI and the TSX, a growing Canadian small cap software consolidator focused on the healthcare vertical. Its primary products include electronic medical records and patient flow solutions. The business is cash rich and has posted strong revenue growth, but the stock is down 26% year to date. A listener asks if it is an opportunity. The second company, Mullen Group Limited, symbol MTL on the TSX, is one of North America's largest logistics providers. A client who currently owns the stock and has done well with it, including the dividend, asks if we consider it a long-term holding. Our third Your Stock Our Take is on Drone Delivery Canada Corp, symbol FLT on the TSX Venture, which designs, develops, and implements a commercial drone-based logistics platform in Canada and internationally. The client states that drone remains speculative, but has some serious agreements with Air Canada and other companies for commercial deliveries. Brennan takes a look at the stock. Our fourth and final Your Stock Our Take is on Pluralock Security, symbol PLUR on the TSX Venture an identity-centric cybersecurity company that reduces or eliminates the need for passwords by measuring the pace, rhythm, and cadence of a user's keystrokes to confirm their identity. Brett takes a look at this growing microcap, which is down 69% year-to-date. Let's get into the show. I welcome my co-hosts, Aaron and the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Anything new this weekend? No, other Huge. than a lot Any... of questions coming in on stocks. Yeah, you know, there's that's about tons. It. For, nope. for your stock, our takes, is that a record? I think that's a record for the show. We get more you questions than that show. for the record, but we, you know, we but have to pick. For what we're we cover to on a show. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. There's a, yeah, we'll go into depth. Well, some bit of depth on each of those companies and mm-hmm. uh, go through them. Uh, Aaron, any Christmas stuff going around around your place? Oh, everything. It's just all Christmas. Everything's focused on Christmas. Do you, does out anyone do with the family? What's that? Do, well, you know the elf on the shelf because I've told you, and you know the whole elf on the shelf. I know it. Yeah, I'm, yes, just, yeah, I'm yeah. not a big elf on the shelf guy, but we yeah, have I, two, I know we have two about. elves now. We have two. <laughs> what elves. do you need two elves for? Well, yeah, you, you need do they a boy fight? And a girl elf. Oh, okay, they, they then fight. You're have... well, in our house, they actually. I have this um, statue. Have a of elves. I have a statue of the queen, and they've been <laughs> they've been battling with the queen, ah. which I know sounds weird this year, but. It's been an ongoing <laughs> yeah. battle for the you last. You have a statue like, of the queen in your house. Mini statue. It was oh. it was given to me as a uh, lovely present. Okay. Because my fondness okay. for the royal. By family. Brennan. Yep. Yeah. By me. It's a family joke. Not but a anyways, let's let let's move on. Let's get into the show. We're going to talk. Ryan about, Irvine is uh, a staunch supporter of the British monarchy. Just for the record. <laughs> so staunch. You heard it here first. Could be the opposite. We're not sure. But now let's let's get to some r- more rate hike rate hikes in Canada. The Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem, he's in Vancouver this week. He's actually speaking probably as we speak. I- I'm sure nobody's listening to him because we're speaking right now. But he's making an end of year speech today. Uh, the remarks come essentially after the central bank last week hiked its key interest rate by half a percentage point. That was Wednesday, bringing it to 4.25%, the highest it's been since January of 2008. Since March, the Bank of Canada this year has hiked its key interest rate seven consecutive times in an effort to bring inflation down. 
it's slowing the economy at this rate, but maybe not to the degree that they had thought it would to start. Now, the central bank has signaled last week it might be ready to pause its uh, aggressive rate hike cycle, but Canadians should not expect rates to start going back down anytime soon. Now, inflation for itself in Canada after peaking at 8.1% in July, Canada's annual inflation rate has slowed to 6.9% in October. That's still above Bank of Canada's target rate of 2%, well above. Uh, Macklem's speech again today, right now in Vancouver, hosted by the Business Council of British Columbia. And Aaron, you were invited to uh, watch. I was actually program. invited because yes, I'm uh, by the CF, by CFA Institute. Mm-hmm. Because I'm but a then, member, but then uh, they recognized you know, who you were and put out you know, a barricade. I, 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 I remember a, a statement made by Warren Buffett that if he was sitting and having lunch or dinner with the with the chairman of the Fed, he would basically have nothing to say or no questions to ask about finance because there's really nothing that the that these people can tell him that's going to support any type of an investment decision, right? Like he's not mm-hmm. investing based on what he thinks the Fed is maybe going to do over the next uh, couple of quarters here, because let's be serious, the Fed doesn't even know that. They change their mind all the time. And I remember even just studying it, uh, Economics 101, and a lot of what the central bankers do, in addition to you know concrete things like changing interest rates, is they try and manage expectations with their statements, right? So they'll make statements, not necessarily that those statements are true and false, but to cry, kind of create a certain impression so that people can't essentially game um, what they're doing and try and try and, you know, predict their next move. And, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I've just seen the fed change their mind too many times. They'll make a, or the bank of Canada, they'll make a statement. They won't follow through the statement. I know that they're saying that rates are going to stay up for quite a while before they start coming down. I don't know if that's true or not. I really, I really don't have much of an opinion because there's too many moving parts. I just believe strongly that, you know, it's going to be the market. It's going to be inflation. It's going to be the economy that um that influences that decision and they don't know what's going to happen as we get into 2023 one thing that i will say just in terms of the inflation rate and we covered this in a segment on another show is that when you're looking at the year-over-year inflation rate in canada or the us and i think you said like what 6.9 it is Mm -hmm. right now annual inflation well what we saw is we saw a big acceleration in the inflation rate monthly in late spring and early and, and early summer um, and then since then, towards the end of summer, you know, in the fall here, it's come down. But really, that 6.9% figure is being heavily in- influenced um, by those those larger numbers during that period. So as we get into the next year, you know, it's likely that we're going to see the year-over-year inflation rate come down quite a bit, unless something else happens, which it, it, it certainly could. But if, if we look at what the trend in the monthly rate is right now, monthly rate of inflation, it certainly will be coming down. If we if we if we extrapolate that trend going forward, um, now will it come down to you know that two percent target or even three percent that would encourage the banks to maybe um, start stimulating if the economy slows down? Who knows? We'll we'll just have to see in twenty twenty three. Don't listen yeah. to the Fed. I'm definitely not surprised that Warren says uh, he doesn't really care what you know a no, given Fed chairman is going to be saying, and I mean, it fits well with his strategy. Plus, he's probably seen about two hundred Fed chairmen over his life, right? So. But uh-huh. in his lifetime period, next week, it could be another chairman in there doing something and saying something different. But I mean, you know, he's looking at those individual businesses the way we would be looking at it, whether or not their you know, rates are at 2% or whether they're at 12%. Uh, you want to own this business for fundamental factors that are outside of that. The, the funny thing is, when we go to conferences and we do these conferences across the country and into the US all the time, this is what they focus on. You know, don't fight the Fed. What's the Fed going to be doing in the next meeting? And it's it's actually rare to see. There's, you know, a few very wise individuals out there that follow kind of company-specific fundamentals over the long term and see if you want to own that business, like the Howard Marks of the world and the, and the Warren Buffetts, that, you know, you look at them and they actually have vested the markets over the long term. You know, and this is kind of where we take our philosophy from uh, to try to look at businesses that way rather than look at what the Fed will do next week or at next meeting and myopically focus on those things, which really you can't control at all. And again, we could go into that and go on forever about that. But we can put up that graphic right now uh, to see what the housing market uh, has done 
uh, over the past 10 years. And you can see there, it's a, you know, the historical pro performance. This is the CoreLogic Case-Shiller 20-City Composite Home Price Index showing the price increases over that uh, time. You can see there, you know, it's been a very steady rise since 2013, and there is just a kind of rollover at the end. But, uh, it, you know, the rollover year to date, uh, it is still up this index 7.3%. That's being, you know, despite being down 3.87%. And this is as at September, I believe, the end of September. So coming down in the last three months, probably going to see a more significant decline, you know, to the end of this year, but still you may end up still up on the year. So maybe there's some more pain in this sector uh, moving forward. But again, this tracks a sector that has gone up almost, you know, not in a parabolic straight line, but gone up considerably over the past 10 years and, uh, you know, maybe is in line for a bit of a correction at this point. Yeah, like I've voiced before that I'm in the market for uh, for a house eventually here. I mean, I'm being patient, of course, you know, just looking at where interest rates are and whatnot. Um, but just in Saskatoon, from July to November, um, prices actually came, the median price actually came down about 4.7%. So we're seeing that co come down as well. I was saying to Ryan the other day, actually, that in 2020, my dad was on me. He was telling me, Brandon, You're see how much affordability, of affordability, right? Yeah. Yeah, affordability. Yeah. My dad told me, look and see how much you can afford uh, for a mortgage and how much of a house you can purchase. Uh, so in 2020, I you know put in all of my credentials, put in a down payment, how much I'd have, and it spit out you know a value of about 330k. Well, now when I do that in 2022, you know I'm down to about a, a home of about 270 thousand dollars. So it just shows. Because of the rate, rate hike, essentially. Exactly. Right. And does that buy you a house in Saskatoon or in the outskirts? Not much. In an area maybe? that I may not want to be in, <laughs> yes. Right, um, right. Okay. So I'm being patient. Uh, yeah. You know, one thing that isn't factored in there is uh, my uh, mother dearest would uh, help me uh, co-sign. So, you know, of that's... Of course, uh, of course. Yeah. yeah and, and you want to know, I mean... If you look at that situation, that's not even that bad because most people that are buying a house aren't single men in their twenties, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're buying a house in your twenties, emphasis without a lot on of family single. support. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know anything about about yeah. Brennan's relationship life right now. I'm just uh, saying he's not married. He's terrible. not buying a house with somebody else, right? Aaron just so got a in there. He didn't even know it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I ain't talking about Brennan's relationships. I, I made that yeah, mistake before. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, but so I mean, it's not. I mean, that's that's not that bad. But of course, you know, if mm -hmm. you're if you live in Toronto, Vancouver, uh, you, yeah. you don't stand a chance. But few sorry, I, I derailed <laughs> you there, Aaron. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I, I didn't. Like, I don't even know what I was talking about anymore. But yeah, oh, Actually, what, no, what's finished, on your what's on your cup there? I want to know what's on your cup there. My cup? Yeah. It's a pug. It's a Santa. It's a nice. Yeah. Can, can we announce? Do, uh, I forgot. Can we announce that Aaron got a cat? I have a new member <laughs> of my family. Yes. 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 <laughs> I do. Yeah. By accident. Uh, by accident. It was completely. It was not planned. Historically, I'm not a cat person at all. I mean, I'm, I think cats are fine. I never planned to have a cat, but about three weeks ago, my wife goes out to do the laundry. Our laundry room is outside. We had left the door open to the laundry room outside, and what does she find in our laundry hamper? but a little kitten, a white and gray kitten that was basically starving. I mean, it could basically, it, it could barely even move. Right. Um, so she takes it and she's like, Oh my God, Aaron, I, I found this kitten. So we, we, you know, we got some formula. We had to drop feed it and open its mouth and it got up and it started moving around after a couple of meals. And, you know, so for obviously the kids loved it. Um, when, you know, for the next couple of days, she's talking about like, Oh, there's this, you know, cat adoption agency. They place kittens you know, we're going to, we're going to bring the cat to them. And, you know, a couple days pass. I'm just saying nothing. I'm just kind of sitting back, like rolling my, I'm like, I know where this is going. Like the cat's not going anywhere. Right. But she's going through this whole process of how we're going to, you know, making sure the kids know that, uh, that we're going to adopt the cat out. And then after about, I don't know, day three or day four, she sends me an email and she's like, would it, would it be crazy if we kept the cat? I'm like, I just been waiting for this email for four days. Right. Like I said, nothing. I'm like, there's a certain process that she had to go through to, to figure it out. We just, we, you know, we, we don't have any pets except for we, we've had fish, 
Um, so, uh, you know, it's a bit of a commitment your, for us, but so far, your so wife, good. We, she posted an awesome, like this post about like the, the denial and acceptance. Yeah. And the seven stages process of, of like, and she was like email yeah. or texting back. Denial. Yeah. Anger, with somebody about I, it. Yeah. Yeah. It was One hilarious. Actually. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. 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 So, if, so you uh, have it. Yes. Maybe kid, you'll have kids. a cat walk by too in the background. Yeah, like right? Brett. No, that's what I was looking yeah, at. Yeah, well, yeah. the, the, the kids named the cat Snowflake because it's mostly white. So if <laughs> yeah. Snowflake uh, if Snowflake comes into the room, I'll I'll introduce him. And this is funny to me, but not when Aaron said the name. We asked the name. I was looking at a public company at that moment called Snowflake. Yeah, in the U.S., yeah, just a weird company. Just a weird, yeah. Highly valued. I, I like my snowflake in. better, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. We really had to make that announcement. Everybody oh, needs good. to know about Aaron's uh, pet life, right? That's so. Well, it's going to inform <laughs> some investment decisions, which is why. Yeah. Well. So. Okay. For our your first, your stock our take is on Vital Hub Corp. Symbol VHI. I'll be handling it on the TSX. Trades around two dollars and forty-five cents. Market cap is one hundred and six million doesn't pay a dividend what does vital hub do they are a software consolidator focused on the healthcare vertical its primary products include electronic medical records emr and patient flow solutions vital hub is based in toronto and has over 400 clients now q3 results we saw good revenue growth uh, up 48 percent to 97 or 9.78 million from 3.1 from the comparative period, organic annual recurring revenue bookings uh, grew at 2.7% sequentially, despite this being a summer season that is sequ- or slower, essentially. Now, however, the weaker British pound hit annual recurring revenue by 1.1 million. The quarter was recorded during the peak of the US UK budget crisis. Now, adjusted EBITDA was 2.15 million 22% of revenues compared to 1.24 million or 18 or 19% of revenues in the comparable period net income was basically break even at 40,000 up from a loss at this time last year of 575,000 now the balance sheet vital hub has a strong balance sheet but it's not from internally generated cash flow i mean there is cash flow here but the company has continued to issue shares to fund growth Cash on hand right now is 36 million compared to 16.3 million. The company did a raise over the past year uh, against loans payable around 9 million. So the net cash is in the range of 25 million to execute acquisition initiatives on. In that vein, subsequent to the end of the quarter, the company acquired all the issued shares of a company called Quad Community Technologies, which operates in Australia. Quad offers an online case management system and supporting products serving 350 plus agencies located in all states and internal territories of Australia. Vital Hub paid roughly 7.1 million Canadian. What are the valuations on Vital Hub? Well, it trades at a trailing or a price to earnings ratio based on 2022 expected earnings, or sorry, just trailing earnings of 48, which is expected to drop. Uh, based on 2023 earnings, this is expected to around the range of 18.5. Keep in mind that EPS missed expectations in the last quarter, but it, they, EPS has improved in 2022. Price to free cash flow based on expected numbers for this year is 9.4. That's a more favorable look. Uh, there has been good growth in the business. Revenue growth primary from acquisition, reasonable and a reasonable amount of organic growth sprinkled in since 2017. Revenues in 2017 were 1.1 million. Revenues for the trailing 12 months are 35.5 million. Operating income over that period also improved from a loss of 2.1 to trailing 12 months profit of 3.5 million on operating. That's operating earnings. Now, however, the company for a company with an enterprise value of 79 million, this still leaves the company trading at 22.5 times that operating earnings figure. Reported EV to EBITDA is in the range of 14.8, but on an adjusted basis, it's closer to 8.4. Now, according to analyst estimates, Vital Hub trades at 6.3 times its expected EBITDA in 2023, compared to more mature consolidators, software consolidators, which are in the range of 14.2. The goal of management, we've met with them a number of times, is to drive margins higher. 
with further organic growth and cost reductions, demonstrating an ability to compound free cash flow for a share. Now, if the company can do so and actually post higher free cash flow per share, its multiple could re-rate higher to that same group that we talk about that has a higher multiple. We are awaiting execution on higher per share cash flow growth before we buy Vital Hub. So we're watching the company. It is interesting. It has come off again this year and we're seeing if it trades in a range, but more focused in on it growing on a per share basis in terms of cash flow and earnings. Right, right. It is an interesting company. I remember we met with the management team, yeah. um, Brennan, you and I, when yeah. we went to the Roth conference. What was that in March, yeah. April? March. Yeah. March. March, right. Yeah. So we sat down with the management team. It was it, it, interesting business. One of the things that I liked is they, I mean, they'll make acquisitions of technology companies, roll those into their business, but then they'll, they'll use their own tech team to further develop. So they're, you know, a lot of times these um, smaller companies, tech companies, they might be a little bit inefficient with their software development costs, but Vital Hub has their own tech team that they would then just use to uh, to continue to to maintain and, and grow that software. So certainly interesting. The valuation, I mean, if you're gonna look at the adjusted figures, it's not that bad. Would you say nine times free cash flow, net mm -hmm. cash position of about a third of it. And that's based cash. on estimate. So, I mean, they have yeah. to hit it, but they have, they have been to hit it. Hit and it. if we're talking adjusted, what, what are they adjusting out? So you need to, it, you need to look at that too. It's true. And it, mm -hmm. I mean, we just on a per share basis, it just needs to create. I mean, because there is dilution with raises over time. Mm -hmm. I do think that management would be more hesitant in the current range to issue more shares. But, um, you know, it is and there there is cash there too. Well, it makes it hard. I mean, if your cost of yeah. issuing shares is so high, that means your cost of making an acquisition is high. Mind you, the price of those acquisitions have probably come down in the current but market but for software what? consolidators there any consolidators you actually want to trade at a higher multiple right you actually yes. want to at yeah. some point so if you do have to issue shares uh the math on purchasing a private or another public company uh, works but if you're you know trading at eight times evd and buying things at seven and a half times you know it's it's a thin margin that you're really it's a razor thin margin that you have in terms of actually being your creator right so if you're trading at 15 times and buying things at six, you know, it starts to make sense. So, you know, mm -hmm. that, this company at some point will have to have a higher uh, multiple to be able to continue to raise capital that way, or it'll have to be buying or the, you know, like you said, the prices will have to come down to three times EBITDA or three times cash flow or something like that to make uh, the accretion be worthwhile um, versus the dilution, right? And to make it accretion. Hopefully that makes sense. No, not at all. I didn't understand the word you said. I started nodding well, that's off. That's because you started falling asleep halfway through. Now, we, we're going to move to you, and we can all fall asleep uh, yes. while you talk about... Perfect. While you talk about Mullen You know, the Group industry Limited. is maybe to some not as exciting, but I mean... Logistics? The numbers, yeah. the numbers sure. look good. And so we, we got a question from a, from a listener or a viewer um, said that he... Uh, no, she, Brenda was her name. Uh, that she's owned Mullen Group. She wanted to get our, our analysis of it. She's done well. And yes, I'm very aware of Mullen Group. And in fact, we are in the process right now of putting together our 2023 Canadian Dividend All-Star Report. This is where we look at every dividend stock in Canada, about 350 companies, uh, and we do analysis on all of them to find the best stock. So Mullen's a company I've been I've been following for a couple of years. It's uh, It has very strong fundamentals. It's right at the top of our monitor list. Could even possibly be a recommendation, but let's uh, let's just go through the company and then we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, the summary at the end. So Mullen Group trades under the symbol MTL on the TSX, just under sixteen dollars per share. It's a one point four billion dollar market cap company, and it pays a nice yield right now of four point seven percent. So it is a dividend uh, dividend payer. Uh, they are a Canadian based trucking and logistics company, so they have four segments to the business: less than truckload. Uh, this is that's the largest final mile network in Western Canada. So these are short, um, short range deliveries. That's a lot of like e-commerce stuff. Things are sent to the warehouse. You only have to um, deliver them a short distance within uh, within that different region. Uh, the other segments of the business are logistics and warehousing, specialized and industrial services, and U.S. and international logistics. It's really the less in less than truckload that the company is has focused on growing substantially over the past year or two here. 
take a look at the one-year chart, a pretty good performance just over the last 12 months. It's trading, as I said, right now at about 15.50. Um, that's up from about 11.50 per share a year ago. But if we look at the five-year performance, not really that great. I mean, it's it's kind of moved up and down, but more or less flat over the past five years. Uh, the company did recently put out their Q3 results, and they were positive, uh, essentially right across the board, very positive. So in the third quarter, revenue was up 20%, adjusted operating income up 52%. Uh, they produced higher net profit margins, 14.8% compared to 13.1%, 168% growth in adjusted earnings per share, similar growth in cash flow per share. And in addition to being a dividend payer, they're a dividend grower. The dividend has been increased 50% over this time. So 18 cents uh, per quarter right now compared to 12 cents in the previous year. So very strong financials in the quarter. Uh, and then also the year-to-date financials were very strong. The balance sheet as well looks fairly good. About $630 million in, in net debt, uh, which equates to a net debt to cash flow ratio of about two times. So, you know, fairly, fairly good leverage ratio there. Um, but let's take a look at what's happened, what's been happening with the company historically, because as I'd said, over five years, you know, the stock price hasn't really gone anywhere. So if you look at the historical numbers, we see a really nice acceleration in growth in 2021 and then year to date in 2022. But up until this point, going from 2014, say, to 2020, not really a lot of growth in, in revenue. And in fact, it wasn't until 2021 that they achieved the revenue that they had in 2014. Um, Free cash flow for the current year, they're looking at 110 in free cash flow is what they're targeting. So that's up from just under 100 million in free cash flow last year, but would still be flat compared to 2020 and below the peak free cash flow, which was in 2014. Um, so really not a lot of growth in this company long term, um, but very nice growth recently. Um, so the, this is this is one of the things that I've been looking at for the company about the company now, the recent performance, one of the things that has been driving it has been inflation. It's actually been a net positive for them um, just recently because they've been able to increase prices. They've also been doing acquisitions. Um, but as we look forward on the company, it may not be a good idea to focus so much on what they were doing in the past because the business really has transformed quite a bit. They've shifted their focus since that period 2014 and up to 2020. So if we look back to 2014, they were mostly an oil field services company, uh, about two thirds oil field services and about a third trucking and logistics. Well, based on acquisitions that they've made, they've completely transformed that weighting. So um, now they, as I said, the biggest segment in the company is the less than truckload segment. That's almost half of the business right now. Uh, they have other areas as well. There's the US international uh, and international logistics. So that's just trucking in the US where they basically act as like a brokerage service, low capital expenditures, um, good good margins there. And then there's their logistics and warehousing as well. Um, so the specialized and industrial services, this would have been what they would have considered oil field services back in 2014. And over this period, it's gone from about two thirds of revenue to I would say less than a quarter of revenue here. So there has been a lot of change in the companies, in the company. This has been driven largely by acquisitions, almost 600 million in acquisitions completed between 2014 and 2021. They've continued to do some deals in 2022, having done an acquisition in the second quarter, and they're looking to do more. And as I said before, most of that has been um, in the in the e-commerce focused business, the less than mile, less than, last mile, sorry, trucking business, um, close to 350 million in acquisitions over this period of time. Company expects e-commerce to continue to be a strong growth driver, uh, they, they've quoted uh, data from Statistica that is ex they're expecting continued growth um, in, in e-commerce sales going out to 2025. So this continues to be a segment of the economy that they want to focus on as for growth. Now, going through the, the, company's, man the, the company's commentary from the recent quarter, there's a few things that, I, that I'm highlighting here. Uh, one of the things that the CEO said is that this is currently the best operating environment that he's ever seen in his life, the best in the company's history. So that's great. Uh, inflation is driving increased pricing. So I know from reading their conference calls, you know, they, their margins were under pressure uh, last year, but they knew that they were going to start um, pushing through some very significant price increases due to inflation. They've done that. And this has driven a lot of the growth in addition to acquisitions. 
Now, they say that experts are predicting a moderation in future results because of central bankers increasing interest rates, the expectation the economy is going to slow um, in order to, to tame inflationary pressures. I would agree with this. I'm not going to, you can't look at that 168% earnings growth rate um, or even really the 20% revenue growth rate and expect that that's going, you expect that you can extrapolate that going forward. That's, that's unrealistic. So I would expect uh, results to moderate going forward at some point, um, maybe not next quarter or the quarter after that, but at some point um, over the next year here. But they that doesn't mean that, that results still aren't going to be strong because you, you've seen in, in year to date and, and for the third quarter of 2022, those are exceptional results. So maybe they're not quite as exceptional in 2023, um, but it still does appear that they have some gr good growth drivers in place. And if inflation persists, that they will be able to pass those uh, some price increases. Um, but they say as consumers are still spending. Um, there's still capital projects that are being pursued. And all of this requires freight logistics and warehousing services, which they provide. So they continue to be very optimistic in that respect. And then finally, just a, a talk about valuation. Um, trading at 11 times trailing adjusted free cash flow, about 13 times expected targeted free cash flow. So the valuation looks good. Ultimately, you know, this is one of the companies at the top of the list for a Canadian dividend all-star report, one of about 10 that we don't currently have coverage on. So at some point in time, it could be a recommendation. We're just uh, continuing to dive deep, but that report is going to be coming out around year end. So look out for that as well as some other great ideas that we have in there as well. Look out, that awesome. report might hit you in the face. It might. Oh, God. Yeah, you should hope Look that it out. does because you don't want to miss it, right? <laughs> well, you think like it's 350 true. dividend yeah. companies in Canada. We're looking at every single one. So I just walked through Mullen. That's one of the top 10 that we don't currently have research on. Um, but there's others that are that are equally impressive. Yeah. And you know, I expect a couple of those are going to get into our, our buy research coverage. If not... Um, in the next month than over the next couple of months. Yeah, I think I, Mal, Mullen's interesting. Um, the the I mean the growth, the tremendous growth in the last year. Um, I guess that I'm looking at some estimates going forward, and they're anywhere from flat to down around seven percent next year. Mm -hmm. uh, analysts can get stuff wrong all the time. That's the issue. That's why we have to look deeper into it than just looking at especially estimates. when you're so dealing with like what's. Forward a fairly unknown company. Like there probably aren't many analysts that cover it. Um, but I can't really say at this point, I can't say, I would say, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if numbers were flat in 2023, because you're coming off of such extraordinary results in 2022. You're not going to do that every, every year, but um, you know, typically the analyst expectation isn't going to factor in um, acquisitions. Um, and then if there are more price increases and that would be, that would be beneficial, obviously. For sure. Okay. Now let's get to uh, our third, your stock, our take that comes from the listener on Drone Delivery Canada Corp, FLT on the TSX Venture. Brennan, awesome. you're allowed to speak now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Aww. you. Okay. So yes, this year stock, our take came in from Peter and he says, can you look at Drone Delivery Canada? Speculative for sure, but some serious agreements with Air Canada and other companies for commercial deliveries. So Drone Delivery Canada Corp, FLT on the TSX Venture, currently trading at a price of about $0.28 cents and has a market cap of about $63 million. So the company designs, develops, and implements a commercial drone-based logistics platform in Canada and internationally. Uh, the company's logistics infrastructure solution is an integrated turnkey logistics platform, which include industrial-grade drones, automated drone spot depots, automated battery management systems, a detect and avoid radar system, as well as their proprietary flight software. So some key points here, the stock is down about 64% year to date and about 90% from its 2021 highs. Uh, the company does have a couple of drones which are operational and is currently developing additional drones, uh, including the Condor, which is a two-stroke gasoline helicopter, which has a maximum payload of about 180 kilograms and a range of 200 kilometers. And the company now anticipates completing endurance testing in 2023 in Foremost, Alberta for that Condor drone. And the company is also working on the Canary, which is the next generation of its Sparrow uh, drone. So going to slide 
two here. Uh, Drone Delivery Canada did sign some interesting contracts in 2022, um, but I will note that none of the contracts have publicly listed dollar values on them. Uh, so in November of 2022, it's Care by Air project initiative through the assistance of its sales agent Air Canada with Halton Healthcare Services and DSB Air and C. So this revenue generating pilot project will be operational for a six month term and will be used to transport a wide variety of healthcare goods by cargo drones for the benefit of fast and efficient delivery to Oakville Trafalgar Memorial Hospital. In August of 2022, it announced the successful approval and implementation of a dangerous goods transportation for UBC Faculty of Medicine's Remote Communities Drone Transport Transport Initiative. So essentially, they'll be utilizing the company's drone logistics solution to enable a defined two-way delivery flight route to transport a variety of cargo to central northern BC. And this is expected, this contract is expected to last about a year. And in June of 2022, Uh, They had a deal with Edmonton International Airport uh, and the revenue generated from this project will be operational for about 12 months. And then as well, just lastly here in April of 2022, the company entered into a collaboration with Bell Mobility Inc. to work together for a three-year term in respect of development of certain products and services in order to improve technology as it releases Uh, or sorry, as it relates to 5G network and multi-access edge computing for autonomous drone performance. So Drone Delivery Canada is charging uh, Bell a little bit for engineering services essentially here. So those are the contracts. Now let's look at the actual financials here. So the company did just report its fiscal Q3 2022 results on uh, November 15th of 2022, and revenue was up to 247000 But keep in mind, this was from a very small base, and the increase in revenue was due to the inclusion of the UBC, as well as the Edmonton International Airport contracts that went into operation, plus the company recorded some revenue from the provision of engineering services to Bell Mobility. Looking at the net loss, they posted a loss of 3.8 million up from a loss of 3.3 million in Q3 of 2021. And cash flow used in operations was about 2.6 million up from a loss of about 2 million in the prior year period. And the balance sheet did have uh, a net cash position of about 18.2 million. Um, But I will note the company's share count is getting up there though, now with about 224 million shares outstanding. So like the company that Ryan was talking about, you know, this big cash position isn't from, you know, cash flow, essentially, this is from the company issuing shares and raising money that way. And just here on the expected expenditures, I just wanted to show essentially that the company is developing uh, and putting a lot of money into R&D right now. So you can see just for commercial testing and product development and commercialization, they anticipated in 2022 uh, to have, or they actually spent about, you know, over three and a half million dollars. So when we're seeing a company pull in only about $250,000 in revenue a quarter, you know, that is a little bit of a concern considering this company is spending a lot. So to conclude, Drone Delivery Canada is an interesting company and one day it could be the leading provider of of delivery drones in Canada. But I agree with Peter, it remains speculative given its very small base of revenue and continual losses, which have amounted to over $28.9 million over the last eight quarters. The company does have some good partners, including Air Canada, UBC, and Bell, but these partnerships haven't really translated into meaningful revenue. And though the business has a cash-rich balance sheet, it will have to continue to invest heavily in R&D to advance its drone technologies. And if it doesn't achieve profitability soon, it will likely have to further dilute shareholders. Again, it's an interesting company, but until it can start to produce meaningful revenue and get closer to net profit and positive cash flow, we remain on the sidelines. I'm going to push back on that statement. I'm going to say it's it's not an interesting company. I'm going to say it's an interesting story, right? It's an interesting industry. And I think that there's there's a million things that you could do and make money with on drones. But this company has spent $28 million into developing their technology and they still virtually have no revenue. I mean, I consider two, 250,000 a quarter to virtually be no revenue, right? And so that that's a problem. I don't know exactly how they're going about. Maybe they're trying to, 
they have, they have too many pots on, on the stove at once. Um, but, you know, I would say with that amount of investment, $28 million, they should have been able to develop something that they're actually selling right now. Get some revenue in the door, even if there's not profit yet, get some revenue in the door um, and then you can start to develop some other things, right? So that's a big, that'd be a big concern for me, right? I don't like these companies that they go public in the market before they really have anything to even sell or commercialize. Like that's, you know, try and raise that money privately. Um, and then by the time you go public, you know, you, sh you should have something, right? At least some revenue, if not profit. Wow. A done shots fired at Bhab. Wow. No, I that, just kidding. Well, no, I, I agree. No, it's it is just an idea. It's not a business. Than anything. No, yeah. no, yeah, I'm, I mean, because because if you talk to me about drones, like the whole idea of drones, idea, drone technology, some of the potential applications, commercialization, I think that there's a ton of potential there, and <laughs> that's what makes it concerning that the company's invested 28 million dollars of shareholder money into its business, and they still only have like less than 300 thousand. Of revenue in yeah. a quarter. That, that's that's a big Yeah, concern. I mean, they have minimal revenues. It's a minimal. concept right now, even yes. though they, they call themselves a company. It's just a concept. I mean, they've, they have an accumulated deficit of like 86 million, too. So oh, so it's like, like, okay, so I don't have they, in, it's 86 yeah. million they've put, that might yeah, not be all them. Right? Maybe there is a reverse takeover in there or something. I don't know. But it if it's 86 been. million that they've invested in that technology, so this is money that's been raised from investors because they're not making money themselves. Um, and they and they don't barely have revenue. I mean that that's that's yeah. a major issue, right? Yeah, and there, there's a ton of shares out, and like the yep. next raise would likely have to come with probably a consolidation of the shares, and and, and know, it's it's, it's a minimum bottom, amount of revenue. Yeah. Rock bottom value. Well, I mean, there's no valuation. Rock bottom share price. Yeah, right. the valuation it's, might be high. I mean, it is often. I mean, no, I yeah, that's the thing. The valuation, it's hilarious. expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I mean, again, interesting industry. Interesting, you know. Oh yeah. You look into the company, mm -hmm. but love the industry. You know, there's also a hell of a lot of aerospace companies in this sector that have a lot more capital behind them too. So sure, I think, and that's why stuff. if you're a smaller company. You focus mm -hmm. on something very narrow, very niche, that you do your research, you know there's going to be customers out there. You build something that you can sell, five, mm -hmm. 10 million, you get a couple good salespeople and you start validating your business by getting some customers, right? Like that's how yeah. you enter a market like that, in my opinion. For the opinion yeah, I mean, of somebody who's never, <laughs> who's the, never done it myself, but I, but I, re I research companies for a living and this is what I see time and time again, right? I know... I know what the success factors are and the patterns are of successful businesses, right? And I know what the patterns are of businesses that just end up raising a lot of money and never actually achieving their objective of having this big business with a lot of revenue, right? So it's anyways. yeah, I mean, the market is speaking too, like, and, and it wants profitability. If you look at January fifteenth, twenty eighteen, when the company, uh, you know, the first sign I see it listing publicly is a uh, dollar seventy nine, and it's. 28 and a half cents right now. So, mm -hmm. I mean, the market over time, like the, it, there was some you know, hype around the business. It jutted up to $2 in February, 2021 when the markets were crazy. Um, but like the market needs to see cash flow at some point needs to, I mean, in this case, you know, some kind of significant revenue base. And if you don't well, see the that, the market's not going to see that anytime soon from the looks of it, no. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can prove me wrong. I hope they do. I hope they do, yeah. but uh, so but far. But at this point, based on the underlying financials, you know, there's not anything there for us to be able to uh, invest in at this stage. Yeah. Okay. Finally, we're going to have Brett take a look at a listener question on Pluralock Security, symbol P-L-U-R in the TSX Venture. All right. This question is from Randy. Pluralock Security, symbol P-L-U-R on the TSX Venture. Pluralock Security is an identity-centric cybersecurity company that reduces or eliminates the need for passwords by measuring the pace, rhythm, and cadence of users' keystrokes to confirm their identity. So essentially, it's a digital fingerprint is what they're trying to create. They operate in a highly regulated industries, including healthcare, critical infrastructure, government and defense, and financial services. Recently, on November 9th, Pluralock consolidated all of its software into a single platform just under the brand Pluralock. 
The stock is currently trading at 14 cents a share and a market cap of 10 million, down 69% year to date. The company did have massive increase in revenue of 103% year over year to a record of 30.8 million. But because Pluralock is extremely contract based, their revenue is extremely inconsistent. And because of this, the revenue increase is kind of just expected with the contracts. Because their contra- the, the contracts are primarily dominated by their hardware sales, which is 82.4% revenue, and software only makes up 17.3%, with the remainder just being some additional uh, side business. As hardware is more one-off, this it explains the high variance in contract revenue. Net income is still a loss of $1.6 million for a quarter, slightly worse than the previous year's loss of $1.4 million. So no growth there, and you're seeing these high revenue growth. There, there's something going on here, which isn't good to investors. The company is burning cash as the last quarter was operationally at a deficit of 87,000, which isn't isn't much, but it's something. But year to date is still a large amount of 6.2 million. For a market cap of 10 million, that's quite large. Further hurting the company's cash balance, it is acquiring companies, which is good in the long run, but in the short term, it has spent 3.9 million year to date. This leads us to the balance sheet. It's just not great. The company has a net debt position of 1.1 million, which on its own isn't detrimental to the company, but it has a networking negative networking capital basis as well. The company has 28.3 million current assets versus 31.1 million in current liability. So you're looking at this for short-term liquidity. If this goes under, even if the company is profitable, which Pluralock is not, it can spell trouble for the company and has often ended in bankruptcy or some sort of restructuring for many companies. There are some liabilities of 1.6 million in share compensation, but even adjusted for that, networking capital is still a negative 1.2 million. The company has an active line of credit, which is where a lot of its current liabilities are derived from. Following the acquisition of Atrion Communications, Plurlock increases credit limit to 4 million US from 2 million US on September 26th. So the numbers which I was previously quoting were from the end of September. So this credit increase hasn't even affected the balance sheet yet. You'll probably see this in the next quarter. So in the next quarter, they're most likely drawing on it right now on this line of credit. So if you saw it up to the 4 million US, which is about 5 million Canadian, that's roughly half the market cap just in the uh, line of credit. So if they were to, let's say they were able to pay it, which right now they are cash negative, they would have to raise shares or go bankrupt. So if they're, uh, let's say they're not going to go bankrupt immediately. They're going to start to raise shares. That's going to be massive and massive dilution if they were to try to raise all this money, so half their market cap in shares. It's just a horrible idea. And this is on top of them already increasing their basic share count by 6% to 74 million in this year so far. And additionally, it has 17 and a half million shares of warrants and options that could be diluted into shares. Right now, they're out of the money, so they probably won't be executed. And if the company continues to go down this path, they likely won't increase in share price, which means there won't be dilution. But it is something, if you were to hold this company or to make a recovery, there's still going to be further dilution just from that. So in summary, the revenue is growing, albeit inconsistently. The company produces no profit or operating cash flow and has increasingly leveraged its balance sheet. This is not a company we invest in. Yeah, Yeah, and we actually... We actually, I actually met with management uh, years ago and, you know, the technology is very mm-hmm. interesting. They displayed it, uh, but, you know, they made several acquisitions and, you know, it, at some point you got to, like we harp on this all the time, you got to be producing cash flow. And, uh, you know, that is what the market is calling for. That's why the share price is likely depressed. Uh, you know, it is a negative market overall, obviously, but, you know, you need to, you need to have cash flow. And if you can't, Produce that despite the tremendous growth in revenues, um, you know, the business, it, it, you know, it's not going to produce meaningful cash flow per share, earnings per share, which over the long term drive the share price. We keep saying this regardless of the type of business. But when you don't see that over time, the share price will go lower. So this company has to focus on they've done a bunch of acquisitions. There's great revenue growth. Make some margin make some actual earnings or cash flow off of that revenue growth and the market will reward you over the long term. If you don't, uh, it doesn't work. It's not a business at that point. Yeah. The, the great revenue growth 
validates the fact that there's demand for the product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the lack of profitability shows that, um, you know, the economics of the product have not yet been validated. Now, this is at least, you know, it's, it's, it's a better story than, you know, a, a company that has barely any revenue and a huge operating loss, but, you know, they're still not there. They still have to validate uh, that they can, that they can sell this product profitably. Yeah. There's an opportunity here to get margin off it, to create per share cash flow, per share earnings, do that. And then the market will reward you. If you don't do it over the long term, uh, there'll be, you know, the story that we've seen before, they'll either have to consolidate shares or, you know, this, the company won't do well over the long term. You need to have profitability and create, you know, not just growing via issuing shares. And then, you know, that's how you're funding your operations. You need to grow via cash flow at some point, produce some of that. So uh, anybody can value you in the market. You can't be valued if there's no cash flow. And if you're growing revenue time. only by leveraging your balance sheet, it's that's yeah. that's a road that leads to uh, disaster. They, they have had some recent uh, pickups with, uh, I think, both the Canadian and U.S. government. So they are they do have demand, like you said. It's mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's pure leverage, but they're they're quite leveraged to say yeah. the least. Yeah. yeah, good. Well, we'll continue to monitor them because there is good revenue growth mm -hmm. there, but we need to see some kind of profitability at some point. All right, I think that's going to end our show this week. I'd like to thank everybody for listening, uh, viewing us. If you're on YouTube, smash that subscribe button. Uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, go out there, like us, rate us, review us. Keep your questions coming into our Your Stock Our Take segment. If you want us to compare two companies or do a debate on a company, let us know. Just give us a prompting and we'll do a debate and we'll fight it out on an individual company. Right. That's going to end our show this week. I'd like to wish you all profitable investing. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.